I absolutely took a sip of my grandma's holy water. Ne- <gasps> the one in her bottle next to her bedside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we were playing hide and seek, and I was like, I'm going to just take a sip of this, thinking that maybe it would make me better. I was kind of a naughty kid, so I think I was hoping it would do something for me. Oh, my God. Okay. I love the theological impulse behind that. I'm like, this will make me better. Um, <laughs> Enneagram one for life, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. And today we have two very special guests. We do. I'm very excited. Uh, so, first up, Emmy Kegler is a queer Christian mom, writer, and speaker called to ministry at the margins of the church. Emmy's an ordained pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and served as a pastor for six years. When her son was born, Emmy transitioned out of called ministry into a work-from-home editorial director position. Emmy continues to serve as the founder and editor of the Queer Grace Encyclopedia, a curated collection of online resources around LGBTQIA plus life and faith. She has published two books, One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins, and All Who Are Weary, Easing the Burden on the Walk with Mental Illness. As a preacher and writer, she's passionate about curating worship and theological practices that dismantle barriers to those historically marginalized by Christian practice. She believes in and works for a church rooted in accessibility, intentionality, integrity, and transformation, knowing that God is already out ahead of us, creating expansive space for those most hungry for the good and liberating news of Jesus. She lives in Minneapolis and enjoys reading books on her front porch and spending time with her wife, son, and four pets, two Shih Tzu pups named Gertrude and Hildegard. This is really important information, obviously, (laughs) for me, at least. And two orange cats named Ernest Hemingway and Albert Camus. Oh, my gosh. All right. (laughs) The spelling. And then as if that weren't exciting enough, uh, Natalia Turfa is a Lutheran pastor and author who lives in Minneapolis with her hubby, kiddo, and kitty babies. She loves to bake, to read, practice yoga, and find nature adventures. She's passionate about the church of the future, one with no boundaries, and filled to the brim with love and grace and laughter and snark and a lot of fellow not-that-kind-of-Christians, quote-unquote. And for those who know what all this means, uh, ENTJ, Enneagram One, and Hufflepuff, obviously. And together, Emmy and Natalia are two of four hosts of Cafeteria Christian, a podcast that reminds people that even when it comes to Christianity and faith, you can take what you like and leave the rest. Oh my goodness! Welcome, Natalia and Emmy. We're very excited to have you. We're gonna we're gonna have to have a conversation about your self definition <gasps> as a Hufflepuff. Oh, harsh. What Uh-oh. are you? Drama. <laughs> I just, first of all, I think that, nope, 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 that was about to become a five minute lecture. Um, I just want to gently invite you into stepping outside of a system which decides who you are based on your personality traits at 11 and then groups you into four possible categories. Um, that's, that's all. Said with love from a fellow Gryffindor, <laughs> which I know is oh what you actually gosh. Ah. Oh, <clears throat> sounds like this is something you all may have to dive into. In one of yeah, your we'll episodes. deal with this. I'll put this, this, is I'll put this on a list for a future episode, <laughs> Emmy, I guess. As a self-defined Hufflepuff myself, I need to know more about this journey. <laughs> so I'll be listening. Oh, I mean, I'm married to a Ravenclaw. 
And we birthed a Slytherin. <laughs> you birthed a Slytherin. I will 100% confirm that your child is a Slytherin. I want to, I might want to gently explore how much, like I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, this can be a whole other, hey, Hi. listeners, welcome. Um, If you want to join us at some point in the future, go, go subscribe to a podcast called Cafeteria Christian, because at some point in the future, there's going to be a big old, Natalia's putting it on our whiteboard, going to be a big old debate about um, the four houses. Um, I'll pull out my spreadsheet at that point, because I have a spreadsheet with 5,000 data points comparing Hogwarts houses, Zodiac signs, Enneagram types, and your Myers-Briggs. Oh, It's super fascinating. Functionally, your horoscope defines almost nothing about you as far as those other categories, except for Leos who are very likely to self-identify as Gryffindors. <laughs> that is the only like cross-referential. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, welcome to, I don't, you shouldn't have invited me on y'all. This is, this is me. This, this is, is all going to be cut. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> like edit it all. This is fully uh, Stephanie's wheelhouse. I yeah. somehow... I'm like the only elder millennial who did not read Harry Potter. I don't understand her. And have stayed fully out of the... <laughs> was there like a parental, like the demon is in there kind of no, thing? No, not at all. Not oh, at all. Everyone okay. was reading. I don't know. I was slightly... You're just being contrary. Are you in Enneagram 4? Were you too special to read the thing that everybody else was reading? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm a nine, I think. Uh, <laughs> She's above it all. Yep, I don't yep, know. Yep. I don't know. And then I thought I would just wait till I read it with my kid. But now there's all this these fraught feelings about like, do we even introduce that world given the circumstances with the author? So I we'll see. Well, TBD. Maybe I will end mm-hmm. up reading it with one of my kids. I've perched my house of most of my Harry Potter stuff. Like my books yeah. are gone. I'm giving away it's my wild. Harry Potter Lego advent calendar. Like it's just all. Oh. Man, which that conversation feels connected to this idea of something that had maybe like yes Catholicism. Wait a segue, Anne. <laughs> Beautiful. Something that perhaps has a lot of meaning for someone, and then as they grow and learn more about their own value system versus the value system of the church, start to feel like maybe something's out of alignment, and the heartbreak that that can cause. Um, yeah, there we go. There's the segue. Beautiful. beautiful. It's so beautiful. So connected. Sometimes it's really, let me tell you from experience, it can be really hard to get us back. So good job. Good job. You know, <laughs> I'm here for whatever journey we go on today. Um, yeah. I'm just so very thrilled. And can I say that I just, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, the two mm-hmm. of you. And Nora and Jesse and I, I'm a big fan. I've always heard, thought of like cafeteria Catholic is definitely a thing that I saw around me. Um, and so the idea of a cafeteria Christian and as someone who technically belongs to a church right now and loves the people there, but I'm often like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm Jesus-y enough to call myself a Christian. Like these are the kinds of questions. Every time I listen to your podcast, it feels like a place where like, yes, fully I am in conversation with this world, with these, like this, it keeps me like, oh yeah, Christianity is still in play for me somehow because these are the conversations that I really love. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you. First of all, just thank you for your podcast. It's really meaningful. Thank you. Thank you. And I have been excited anytime any one of you has mentioned that you were um, either baptized or raised Catholic. And if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Natalia, you were raised Catholic. I mean, you were baptized Catholic at least. Yeah, I was baptized Catholic by... I don't have his photo up here. Um, by my uncle, who's a Catholic priest. Nice, oh. nice. Um, Your family had one. So that's a, that's a like that's how that's a high level. Yeah, that's an in. Yeah, that's one in the in. family, right? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it was extremely convenient. And so, it, like, I have so many fun stories of Uncle Maynard. He was really lovely and very much modeled for me, I think, what, like, a gentle presence in the world looks like. He was so thrilled when I went to seminary. Um, I actually, he passed away a few years ago. But... Mm. Um, so when he passed away, obviously as a Catholic priest, like your your stuff sort of belongs to the church. But he had a few friends who kind of went in and collected some things, and that includes um, one communion set that I have Whoa. that is of his. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And then I actually have a silver chalice. Is it steel? Yeah, it's a steel chalice that was used to serve German prisoners of war who were held in St. Louis during World War II. Oh my what? gosh. He got it from priests who had served in the order before him, and then it was passed down to him. So it was like it was literally stamped with like U.S. Army 1944 around the brim. Wow. So it's just so like that part of my experience with Catholicism really beautiful. Yeah, my baptism. I was April, May, June, July, August. Four months old. I think I just counted wrong. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, four months old. Yeah, and screamed through the whole thing. Private mass, private baptism. Start to finish, not just the like, you know, babies cry when you like right. d- dunk them in yeah. the water or like sprinkle on their head because they're like, I was napping and now I'm cold. No, 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 no. The moment we like walked into St. Walburga, just screaming at the top of my lungs. And I insist to this day that I knew my parents were trying to baptize me Catholic. And I was like, <laughs> no, pass me to the Protestants. This is not the space for me. So, yeah. But Natalia actually like grew up. I was in like for real Catholic. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, I was real Catholic. Yeah, real Catholic. I was even confirmed yeah. Catholic. So listen, when I go, if I wander into a Catholic wow. church, I still use that as my like. I'm going up for communion. Hell yeah, I can do it. You can do I it. Did all I checked all the boxes. You did all the things. Yeah. Have you been struck by lightning yet, though? This is such a side tangent, but I went to the basilica in rome and we were walking around and i brought i was with a friend and he was lutheran very very lutheran and i wasn't lutheran yet at that point just attending a lutheran college and we walked in to you know where the pope lives and he was inside it was like 50 degrees inside this church it was so beautiful and i was like it's it's amazing in here and he started he got so hot he couldn't he was like dripping with sweat and i was like (laughs) it's like the funniest joke to me like this is the closest you're getting to being struck by lightning you better be careful and i was fine so i was like see god still god still loves me um and he loved that story (laughs) i can't i can't believe you didn't tell the story before (laughs) I don't think <laughs> you two are learning things about each other here. Really always, great. always. Yeah, I grew up very Catholic. And by that, I mean, my whole extended family is all Catholic. And I grew up at the highest high church, which is at St. John's Abbey in Minnesota, Collegeville, Minnesota. So my father was a was a professor there. And we grew up going to Abbey Church on Sunday mornings. Like that was my Sunday mass was the Abbey Church. Wow. A lot of my family's friends were monks and the abbot and like all these people we just hung out with regularly. Wow. And uh, we sat in the front row, lectern side. Oh. And uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was quite a way to grow up uh, with that highest of high church, like just the pomp and circumstance and the visual of that space yeah. and the processional and the whole deal, you know, like it would just felt it was very formal. And at the same time, we were kids in this very formal space. And so it was a comfortable place for us. I mean, 
with my dad working there mm-hmm. and being a part of things, we snuck into a lot of back rooms and ran around places we probably shouldn't have run around. And, you know, it was all that, just like a PK, <laughs> but not quite, you know. And my yeah. family was all very central Minnesota Catholic, like just very, everybody was Catholic. There's only one church. It's the Catholic church, you know, that kind of small town. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I I grew up in the country and so went to this huge church when I needed a when I needed a sacrament, we would pop over to the local the local parish, you know, to get like the checkbox even though we weren't ever attending that church and it wasn't our community, but it was how cuz the abbey wasn't they weren't they weren't doing that kind they of stuff. No. So you had to like participate oh, okay. kind of loosely at this parish. It was weird. It was kind of weird. Interesting. Yeah. But I remember, I mean, I, I was baptized. I don't remember it. I was uh, three months old, two months old, October 5th. Uh, I, have, I have the certificate on my Ooh, wall uh, my... In, my, uh, in my office still. <laughs> wow. It's impressive. It's very impressive. I guess maybe when you're a pastor, you do know those things. I was like, that's amazing yeah. that you know that. It, it is one of those things. Oh, know. it has to go on our paperwork. Like, what was the day you were baptized? That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they got to make sure it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine was wrong, obviously, but no. Uh, Lutherans <laughs> accept Catholic baptism as a valid baptism. I don't know if they'd accept Mormon, but basically, any mm. Christian baptism is considered okay. valid in the Lutheran Church, at the Evangelical Lutheran Church specifically. Yeah, okay. So when I um lapsed <laughs> to use <laughs> to use the word, do you know the date of your lapsing? I don't. <laughs> I don't know that exact date, but I do yeah. know I, the day I stopped trying to please my grandmother by attending mm. church while I was attending a Lutheran college. So I would. Stephanie yeah. and I also know that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're familiar with that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I went to a Lutheran college and it wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm Lutheran. It was like, oh, this college has a good science department and a good choir. So like that's yeah. where I went. Which is hard to find, honestly. There weren't that many schools that could do both of those things. They kind of pick one, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went there, but for the first year probably of my college career, I would, with a friend of mine who was also raised very Catholic, we would drive on Saturday evening to the Catholic church in town so that when our families checked in on us to make sure we hadn't fallen away from the one true faith, we could say, yes, we attended church this week. Wow, wow. That's impressive. We were still doing it, but I was just a person who asked, I would say, probably too many questions to make the Catholic Church comfortable, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were around... It's not really a dialogue-based <laughs> church. No, it's not. It's like here, and you just take it, right? So we don't do that here is kind of a thing that was spoken to me quite a bit as a young person. We don't talk about that. We don't ask about that. We don't you know, mm-hmm. put your hand down. <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff. So that was where I I started. I think the Lutheran faith pulled me in a little bit because they were open to more of my big questions and they let ladies lead. And I was kind of Mm -hmm. like, that's cool. I hadn't ever wanted to be a pastor. That wasn't part of my plan. But I thought it was really neat that women were allowed to do more than just like take care of children. And so that... Which was my only, I mean, I went to the highest high church that we, right, right. Like, there were no women up front at that, oh, wow. at that church, you know, at yes. the Abbey. Not even doing the readings or communion or anything. It's like just dudes as far as the eye can see. And they're not like that anymore. I think they have more, it's not like that at St. John's anymore, but I just, as a kid even, and they let us at a certain point, they let us participate in things. I got to sing when I was a little kid or 
um, serve communion when I got a little older, but it was just because of my family, not because of, you know, my dad worked there. We were kind of vetted as like being okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> these ones are okay. <laughs> these ones, <laughs> these ladies are fine. Don't worry. They're not touching anything important. Like I could never serve bread. Are you kidding? Uh, but wine we could do. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you can't touch Jesus, you guys. That would just, be just the blood. Oh. Just the, 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 the blood is is can, is you're like you're protected by the cup. It's contained. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. See, I was just telling Stephanie. I think in our bonus episode recently, so maybe some listeners haven't heard this. That recently at my Methodist church, my pastor like just real threw me for a loop. She was like, "Anne, would you come up and help serve?" And I was like, "Well, I don't. I didn't I like." I know, I know that it's different there, but I still just had this like total anxiety around like, wasn't I supposed to receive a training and mm-hmm. do, do I say the right thing? And I, it really, what if I do it out. wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 I feel like yep. a lot of pressure. Yeah. I had that in college because, so my parents baptized me Catholic because at the time that they were married and that I was born, they were both not religiously affiliated. And mm. so they sort of defaulted to the faith of their childhood. And I mean, like you have a, a priest in the family. It's very easy right. to pull off. And were both your parents raised Catholic? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like 13 years of Catholic school education. Wow. Yeah. Whole, so they like, like, just like, just make sure we've got one in the pocket, get her <laughs> baptized just in case. Yep. Yep. But yeah. Yes. Um, very I think important. There, was, very there important. was probably a little bit of family pressure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they baptized me Catholic. Again, like I said, you know, Father Maynard being my uncle was pretty, made it pretty easy. Father Maynard did not follow the rules. Whenever he visited, because he lived out in a town a couple hours away, whenever he'd come and visit and the family would get together, he would bring a communion kit and serve every single one of us communion. <gasps> yeah. Um, and so I was always just like, okay, great. Uncle Maynard's here. And then it, like... 14 or 15, I went like, well, am I supposed to have this? But he did it anyway. And I love that. He was so great. He was a treasure. I love that that rebellion is in your blood, Emmy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. Like the priesthood, yeah. but also the troublemaking. Um, <laughs> oh, he was a delight. And so, so we got me baptized and then didn't do a church thing until... About age four, I started asking my mother questions about God because, like, you can't grow up in the Midwest and not encounter the existence of God and Jesus. Sure. sure. Like, it's on the radio. It's on, like, it's in commercials. It's everywhere. Like, we live, actually, my parents, my parents' home is now a five minute walk from the newest branch of Eagle Brook Church. It's one of the biggest mega churches in mm. the Twin Cities. And I don't particularly care for it, but my mother is firmly ensconced in her own church safely. <laughs> which is the Episcopal church. Cause I start asking mm. questions about God and my mom's like, we need to do something about this child. Mm. We need to like, we need to get her into a formal education system. And they went through Catholic reentry classes and my dad was fine. Um, my dad had been raised Catholic. He converted to Lutheranism ironically for his first wife and then actually became Jewish for his second wife. Wow. Um, he's very flexible. He's very- <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So he was perfectly fine with returning to the Catholic Church. Like, it was a practice of faith for him from his childhood. He still prayed the Our Father in the language that he'd grown up in when we prayed it at church. German. That he mm-hmm. spoke German in the church okay. he grew up in. So my mom was the one who had trouble. And bless her for this. Because she, you know, was having this conversation with the priest leading the re-education classes. And he said, well, you just need to understand that 
you know, the, the, the Catholic church has a full understanding of God and no one else does. And my mom was like, well, I, no, I feel like God, like there's like, God is like the moon. Like we can see part of it, but we can't witness the dark. Like there's a, there's a side of God that we just don't have the capacity to see. And this priest said to her, you need to understand that that belief is out of line with the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Wow. They walked out to the parking lot. And my mom was like, we're never going back and we're not raising her Catholic. Oh, good for her. Praise mom. And my father was kind of like, well, and she- good job, Diane. Good, good job. job Diane. <laughs> and then in additional later conversations, my mother said to my father, like, well, if we raise her Catholic, what's going to happen if she grows up and wants to be a priest? Mm, oh, my gosh. She knew. Yeah. Yeah, she knew. <laughs> my mother is a very, very intelligent woman with very strong foresight uh, in a little uh, slightly terrifying way. And so I think that's where I get my streak of religiosity. And so we ended up raising me Episcopal, which is a very common transition for people leaving Catholicism mm-hmm. because there's that very strong um, sense of liturgical church tradition, right? Like the service feels very similar, but there is a lot more room for questions. And I really loved growing up like that. Like I felt very free there. The church that I was raised in starting at age four had female priests from the beginning. Wow. I'm trying to remember the like the last time I belonged to a church that didn't have a woman priest or pastor. I don't think I ever have. Um, so just like. That's wonderful. Yeah. Lovely. Just like from the beginning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, I mean. Really? You know what the difficulty that that comes with, because this is 1990 when we first started attending church. And so women like being up front and being leaders is still kind of new in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so I did hear this like, you know, conversations about they didn't care for the fact when the female priest got her nails done and they were bright red. So then when she's holding the gospel book, like, I believe the conversation that I overheard at a coffee hour was it looked like the hands of the devil were trying to pull the book down. Nice. <laughs> There we so go. there's, I so love there's painting my like, nails black to hold up communion. Like that, to be like, oh, look at me! Yes. What you gonna do now, guys? That's what happens when you take communion. You're not supposed to. Your your hands just burn. Um, That's exactly right. But yeah, so so there's that that conflict, right? Of like, I got to witness female leadership, but I also got to see what reactions to female leadership mm-hmm, were like. Mm-hmm. And so when I, at about age. 14 started realizing that I wanted to be a preacher that specifically I felt um, the language we use in Lutheran church is called but like moved towards dragged almost towards preaching and presiding over the communion table. I was like, I am not so sure about like, I don't I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I want to do this, but I don't think it's a good idea. I'd been given all these role models that said that I could but I could see like the trouble that lay before me. And as mentioned, I'm queer. I had figured that by that out by the time I was 14. So I knew that there was trouble. And yet here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so, and then what happened? <laughs> and then I went to the exact same college that Natalia went to. Oh. Um, we were there at different times, actually. So we, we, she was four years ahead of me. So we missed each other. So this is very ironic that like I go there as kind of a lapsed Episcopalian I had this whole dalliance with the like conservative evangelical church because I was just like looking for like passion and power mm. and they had it. And then I was like, Oh, but y'all are a little weird about some stuff. Mm, good. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Stories. Um, and so then went to St. Olaf college and was put in, you have to take, because it's a religious school. Um, you have to take two religion courses as part of your general education requirements. And the first one that I took, I was like, I 
can't stop reading these books. I am like enthralled. I'm going to multiple independent Bible studies a week. Like wow. I am in love with this. <laughs> Natalia's laughing. Shut up, Natalia. <laughs> I was going to the Progressive Christian Fellowship on Tuesdays. I was going to chapel every day and Sundays. I was going to Bible study in my dorm and then Bible study often in other people's dorms. I was just kind of hooked. And so that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this fact that I feel this draw towards ministry um, and was really well supported and cheered on at St. Olaf and graduated with a religion degree with a minor in classics because I had to take biblical Greek. And so then I just finished that up and then through a long additional series of events, became a pastor. <laughs> I love it. I, I, the biblical Greek, I've, I've noticed on your podcast a few dissections of translations, and it's, I could listen to that forever. We love that. We're big word nerds. There's a whole chapter in East of Eden all about like one word in the Bible. I'm like, let's do that for years. I love that stuff. <laughs> Same. Yes, that's something that we and but now, Emmy, you're actually someone who like has studied these things. Stephanie and I are always like, I wonder what the translation when like, what are the different translations of the and then we don't know. But we're always do scared. you want the cheater, the cheater page? Give them the cheater. What's the cheater page? It's a website called Blue Letter Bible. Give me this. Emmy's going to give you a different cheater page. It's fine. But I think Blue Letter <laughs> is great um, okay. because you can click like type in John 3 and then you go to John 3 8 and you find out oh the word for wind and spirit are the same word it's pneuma so and you click on the word and then it tells you all the other places that word exists in the whole new testament and then you can it's just delightful it's like doing the hard work of a concordance or any of these things for you it just does it for you i find it it, it gives you the parsing it gives you the the it gives you all the things tells you what tense it's in how you know how it's translated so then it is really fun to be like you know another way to read this word would be My this gosh. right so then you have those fascinating extra yeah. definitions in there so if there's a verse that like pops out at you right you you have something you want to look it up it's just lovely to do a word study that way i find that mm -hmm. That's, I enjoy that work as well. I think it's really fun. Our tech study, Emmy wasn't in it this week, but our tech study just did that same thing about the word thanks, be thankful from Colossians, yep. where mm -hmm. the word actually isn't thankful, but it was interesting to say, you know, the way they translated this word, this word only happens right here and it doesn't mean what we think it means. And it's so interesting to say like, well, then why might ha have an author decided to mm -hmm. use that word there. Why might a translator have decided to use that word that way? It's just super interesting. Then you go to other translations and see, hey, did anybody else translate this differently? And I wonder what their choices were. And I just, all that stuff is dorky and very interesting. There's a small group of people who were like, love it. And I think in a, in a sermon, like when I preach, I know which people in my congregation lean in for that. Like I know yeah. exactly which ones are the word nerds in the room that are like, yes, where you say the word etymology and they're like, I'm here. You know, they're just like, okay. And some other people are like, oh, I'll tune back in when you start talking about feelings again or whatever. You know, everybody's everybody's different, but it is fun. I think it is a fun task to to say somebody made a choice and it's interesting to think about why, right? That doesn't mm -hmm. mean it was wrong. I'm not adding a value to that, but just saying like someone made a choice about this word. I think mm -hmm. that's interesting. It didn't have to be this word. It mm -hmm. has seven meanings. They chose this meaning. That's interesting. I love that stuff. Emmy does too. She. I do. <laughs> without her in tech study anymore, because she has a new job and can't always be there. This is one of her main tasks in our tech study was oh, somebody would be talking and she'd be like digging over here. And then she'd be like, okay. And like 
pull out this whole Greek or Hebrew story and it was so good. And so we're always like, man, I wish Debbie was here. We miss you all the time when you're not there for it. Oh, um, A, I do actually have therapy half the time during that. Um, but every other <laughs> week when I'm not in therapy, I'm going to be starting coming back. Yay! Well, because my son just started daycare. So up Yay. until... So I have a 14 month old and he just started daycare so obviously everyone in our family is sick yeah you yeah you, i, I just to tell you this story you guys he started daycare on a wednesday and they all had covid by friday oh my gosh oh, first day first day his yeah. first day ever of daycare Ooh. not even just like a new daycare like his first day ever yeah and my <laughs> wife and i had avoided covid for the past three years like we were wow. stringent with masking yeah. went through the whole like disinfecting the groceries in the garage saga sure same and then you just thought you could take your kid to daycare <laughs> well and we knew like we discussed like okay we're gonna get covid if we take him like if he if we take him <laughs> yeah. to daycare we're gonna like let's get make sure we've got all our vaccines so he had his he had his most recent booster we had ours we were like okay we are as protected as possible and like Wednesday, I take him in. Friday, I pick him up, and I'm like, "Hey, he's kind of a runny nose," but like he was fine. He was kind of like, da, 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 da. "Like he's a super cheery kid." And then Monday, I drop him off for daycare again. And when I pick him up, I check my email, and it's like there was a COVID exposure in your classroom on Wednesday. And I'm like, "Wonderful." Okay. Um, I'm gonna go home it and begins. take a test, and it was just bright pink, like just oh. so. And then I call my wife while she's at work, and I'm like, "Hey, babe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you better go take a test." And she like. Texts me back 15 minutes later. It's like, well, I'm on my way home. We're going to be there no. for a week. So, um, but all that to say, sorry. <laughs> it, it's been a huge shift in our family. And so also just a shift in like my understanding of what time meant because I work from home. Yeah. And so I was just like, look at all this free. T- oh, d- I don't have free time. There's a there's a child. What mm-hmm. is he doing yeah. everywhere all the time? So all that to say, I have not been able to do my Greek dissections as much as I would like, but I'm, I'm hoping to get back in. Yeah. Stephanie's nodding vigorously. I have a 15-month-old and we were in the ER all morning, so. Oh, sweetheart. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because running. Because, and I was like, I'll get stuff done this morning. Say, I was like, no. <laughs> no. No. No more getting things done. No. I get things started, but I can't sure. get anything done. <laughs> no. But when in my free time, when I have it, I'm going to be looking up some words. Same. This is very exciting. It's such a lovely resource. (laughs) It's a really good resource. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's easy to use and easy to connect with and. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of the hardcore Catholics are doing this, but I feel like this is one of the things that I like, it was never discussed. It really wasn't until I was like an adult that I was like, oh, right. This has been translated multiple times and we don't even know, like it was oral stories much of the time before that. And you know, like those things were not talked about. I mean, Stephanie and I were looking, I think on our, I think it was our transubstantiation episode where a priest said like, well, Jesus said is, this is a real quote. Jesus said is. And I was like, I can promise you Jesus of Nazareth did not say the word is in English. (laughs) No, no, we didn't. Did not happen. And that was like his, that was in his explanation of transubstantiation. I was like, no, he didn't say is. And unless you're going to, dive into some translations to even start to tell me why you think Jesus said is and that is just silly like I can't take you seriously at all yep yeah and I feel like you could sprinkle in because I, I would guess because I've never been I mean I'm, I don't have the Greek memorized um I could certainly go look at it but I would guess off the top of my head if we pulled up like the story of the last supper on yeah. blue letter bible we would find that it does use like present tense right, right. like it probably does say, like it probably is the best translation is is 
but what if you just sprinkled that in there? Right. Um, that's always my like go-to in preaching. And I have friends who are like, that is, you're showing off too, like, it's too much. It's too academic. You're losing <laughs> people when you do that. I appreciate those things. I do. Yeah. It just holds more weight for me. And I, I mean, I think I told this story early on in one of our early episodes, but I have a memory from first grade in Sister Gemma's first grade class where she was explaining, oh my, the, um, I'm going to feel embarrassed that I can't think of things now because you guys are pastors and I should know the, uh, when the tongues of fire, what was that Pentecost? called? Pentecost. Pentecost. Yeah, thank there you. you go. And she was explaining Pentecost and she was explaining that the apostles were able to speak in many tongues. And she said, why would that be important? And someone said, because not everybody spoke English. And oh, I true. remember her laugh. I do remember her laughing, this nun laughing and none of us understood why she was laughing yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that was mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. first time I learned that Jesus didn't speak English <laughs> I mean I just did if at six years old why would you know that wait are you saying Jesus not American <laughs> what what <laughs> you know yeah so even that like I appreciate that because even at, I don't know even in high school even at my all-girls Catholic high school I feel like I remember sophomore year a theology teacher just sort of being like we don't like looking at particular things and being like we don't necessarily know that that literally happened this and and girls just like almost in tears mm-hmm. complexity and nuance had sort of not been scaffolded on it was maybe just kind of thrown at us <laughs> when we got older and we didn't have a way to manage I love that. that I love that image I want to say so I was taught what we call like historical critical biblical analysis in when I was like 15 and 16 in the youth group that I was raised in in an Episcopal church. And the interesting thing that happened with that is, I mean, I had a crisis of faith at 15 or 16. And so I had some time to work that out, which I do think, you know, directly contributes to the fact that I end up being kind of into evangelicalism for a while, because I think there was this sort of like, but I want things to be true. I don't want Mm -hmm. everything to be sort of like, and I want to be certain, like evangelicals are so certain. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be so nice? Yeah. Um, But the other thing that I saw happen was that people just went, okay, well, if it's not true, who cares? Mm. And so I was confirmed with the rest of my class. And then so many of them just stopped coming to church and just were like, well, but it's not true. Like we went through, we, we learned like the Christmas story isn't really true. Like there's two different Christmas stories. They don't match up. They Mm -hmm. probably made up Mm -hmm. most of it. So like, it's not true. Who cares? I'm not going back to church. And I was just like, but, but, uh." (laughs) oh, Emmy made a sad face, listeners. The saddest face. <laughs> That's the saddest um, face. And I think what I was really longing for, and I know that this makes me unique among 15 to 16 year olds, is that somebody would give me the tools to then like reassemble mm. rather than just like break it down and treat it like a museum piece. Like, isn't this funny that people used to believe in this, which I think is kind of the like the takeaway that I got. And I wish somebody had given me the the tools to say, okay, how do you put it back together? Like, if mm-hmm. we know that this is not necessarily historically accurate, if we know that Jesus didn't speak English, if we know that there are two creation stories and they don't tell the same story, what do we do with that? And I think at least what happened for me, and I'm always a little bit on the like, is this what I was taught or is this just where my brain turned off because I was 15? What happened for me was just like, well, the stories aren't factually true, period. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, well, then what the heck are we doing here? And it took me a long time to sort of build back up to a point of like, what does it mean to go beyond like factual, historical, scientific truth and actually Mm -hmm. understand these stories as practices of faith and not of science or history? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this was my whole this was my whole Holy Land experience, right? Which mm-hmm. was I was the one. So I just was in the Holy Land twice in the last year, once in January and once in June. Wow. And that the whole time we were there, they were like, "If you want to hang out with the skeptic, go hang out with Natalia." Because I was just like, because <laughs> the whole time I was like, "It doesn't matter if it was here. Like, who cares? Like, yeah, who cares if Jesus stood here? It doesn't actually matter. What matters is the the generations of faithful people who wanted this to be where this thing happened, or at mm. least." want a place to come to remember a thing that happened right mm-hmm. so like it doesn't matter like if this is the spot where jesus was born i was like i mean probably not but can we all just say like like probably, probably. not but like does that matter no because there is something really beautiful about all of these people coming and kneeling and putting their hand on the star on the floor like mm-hmm. that's that's its own power and so it doesn't take away from the story for me to say like, it has to happen. Like I have to find the the rock on which this thing happened for this to be a true story. I don't need that. I don't need that to have happened on that spot for it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is powerful is, is people, right? People are yeah. the power in that story. Not the, not the stuff for the place, you know, it's just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. but I, but that's not what, People going to the Holy Land don't really want to. Not everyone wants to no. hear that. I'm just gonna throw that you out. You weren't there. like the most popular person there, where you're like, probably not. I mean, so it's funny because the first time I went, I was on a trip with only pastors, and that there were people who were like, "Is this an A site?" And I was like, "I do not care." Like, I just was like, "I don't even." So they categorize the sites A, B, or C know. in terms of like their accuracy. Like, is there proof? Oh. Is there whatever? I thought it was going to be in terms of their holiness. Or something. I mean, kind of though. Like, if yeah. it's a C site, it's like yeah. probably in this general area, you know, or like this isn't actually where it happened at all, but we just have commemorated it here. You know, a B-side is like the Mount of Beatitudes where they have a a church set there and they're like, it's somewhere on this hill outside of Capernaum that this thing happened and we just decided that here is the spot. But like, it's, if you stand here and look out, you can see the lilies and the sparrows and the things Jesus was talking about. It's like here, Mm -hmm. but it's not like... (laughs) here x marks the spot you know that's a b site and then the a sites are the like x marks the spot sites and i'm just like oh it doesn't change anything for me to say yeah like okay (laughs) sure if that really if you need to touch that actual rock for 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 you to feel something fine like i'm not going to judge anybody what they need to feel faith but i just don't need that i don't need Uh i I would be I didn't go with on this on either of the trips and I would have been because see above re toddler um, and I would have been so overwhelmed like this is the I don't know if I would say I'm on the opposite of Natalia as far as skepticism goes but I would have been like you can't touch that what if Jesus touched that you don't touch that yeah there's there's like a lot drinking of- ho- we t- we joked early on like the idea of drinking holy water like oh. I'm not Catholic oh. but nope. I could never never absolutely not no. no. <laughs> I absolutely took a sip of my grandma's holy water. Next, the <gasps> one in her bottle next to her bedside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we were playing hide and seek, and I was like, I'm going to just take a sip of this, thinking that maybe it would make me better. I was kind of a naughty kid, so I think I was hoping it would do something for me. Oh, my God. I love the – okay, I love the theological impulse behind that. I'm like, this will make me better. Um, <laughs> Enneagram one for life, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever right. it takes. I'm a nine over here, like, horrified. Um <laughs> I know also, it breaks the rules, but it was in it was it was in 
in service of my perfection is what I was right. going right. for. Yeah, right. Fully, yeah. fully. The genre of things that feel taboo, but only in a very specific context where like someone who was not raised Christian or not raised Catholic is like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like there's something particularly funny to me about those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, I think one of the reasons I'm super fascinated too, like talking particularly to non-men, to women and other non-male identifying folk um, around my age who are pastors is because I had a realization a couple years ago that I think, especially like in high school, if I had been in a tradition where A, women could be pastors and then still get married and like there was not the anti-LGBTQ stuff going on, mm-hmm. I think that's the route I might have ended up. I remember mm-hmm. in high school being like, I don't know, I want to be like a, maybe like a therapist, but like spiritual and I'm, but I'm kind of <laughs> performing sometimes. Like I'm like talking in front of people and now oh, I was like, Anne. that thing doesn't exist. And now I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, it's, it's being a pastor. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good, good, good feeling. I did have a hot minute where I was like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? But then I started this podcast and that's just right. Um, Representation matters. (laughs) We support you in choosing a podcast instead of a pastorate. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, do we. (laughs) It's just the right amount of it. It's it's without all the stress is what it feels truly is probably what it is. It's the fun. Some of the fun parts without a lot of the difficult parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. At my, I remember at my ordination, a friend of mine came up to me and he was just tears in his eyes. And he was like, I'm so glad my daughters are growing up in a place that recognizes that women can do this and should do this. You know, that he was like, they're, they're, they don't live anywhere near my church. They're not attending my church. But he was just like, he grew up very, very evangelical, very women do not lead kind of a thing and was just like it matters so mm-hmm. much to to have that in front of my kids even if they're just so that they know it happens you know that I want them to know it happens and you know it's funny there's some kids who are like wait men can be pastors too right. and all of that their, would be my kids yeah yeah when all of their experiences involve <laughs> female clergy and you're like that is delightful like it that is. is it is it's wonderful it's great but yeah representation does really matter and I do think you know, the Catholic Church is missing out. They they get close sometimes to like letting women closer than they used yeah. to, right? Talk and and maybe share a story, but it's not a sermon. And uh, <laughs> and you know, my my grandma, I think she came around to me becoming Lutheran, not because she thought I was like that Lutherans were okay. She didn't. Uh <laughs> but she definitely Steph's grandma I, either. Yeah. I, <laughs> But she definitely came around to, yeah, that makes sense because they won't let you do that here. Mm, I mean, yeah. she really mm. came around to that thing. Like, I think she would have loved to be a priest. I think mm. she would have. She did not want to be a nun. She They had one of those. Her sister was. But, like, she wanted to be a priest, you know? And I just think she did so many things in her church, in her little Catholic church in central Minnesota. As many things as they would let her do, she did. Mm-hmm. But, That's great. You know, I think she would have liked to have done more and it just mm-hmm. wasn't available to her. And so I think the bridge for her was that, that she saw. I mean, the first time I told her I was taking a job in a Lutheran church before I became a pastor, she like full turned away and didn't talk to me for a while. Like She was so mad. Um, but also, if you've been raised your whole life to think like that means my eternal damnation, then of course, right. she's like really upset mm-hmm. about it. But I I feel proud that she came around to being like, no, no, this is 
this is good for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like she she wasn't worried about my soul. <laughs> you know, she was she really came around to being like that makes sense. That makes sense because mm-hmm. they won't let oh. you do that here. And I find that just a little bit of grace, you know. I don't she wasn't all the way with it, but she was with it enough to to say that before she died. That's enough for me, right? Like who knows. But yeah, it's it's that she had a hunger for something more and I think she saw in me the need to go find it somewhere else and mm-hmm. she wasn't mm-hmm. She was sad, but I don't think she was like as upset as she started. Yeah. She got there. Yeah. She came around ish. It takes time. She like she started the cul de sac. <laughs> you know, she wasn't all the way there, but she <laughs> she started the circle, and that's yeah. enough. That's enough. Oh. My Graham's uh, one of her twelve children became Lutheran, and she went to a service at his church and came home, and then promptly confessed it to her priest. <laughs> Absolutely, yep. And he was like. <laughs> Go home. Stop. <laughs> this is not, you don't confess. This is not for confession. Go away. <laughs> so kudos to that priest. But I think when I was in my teen years and realizing I don't fit in with this church, the only options to talk to was like an older man in a closet somewhere, basically. And I didn't want to do that. So I just stopped engaging with religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think if there had been a, a younger female to talk to or, or an option, At least I would have been much more able to stay with it or stay with our religion, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think not only just at least personally, I think it really matters. This is maybe one of my one of the reasons we have our podcast. One of the reasons I remain in this weird job, even though it's hard and people aren't nice. Um, But I think (laughs) it really matters to stand up in a pulpit and have a collar on and be like, I don't always believe in this. Mm -hmm. Right. To get up and say, does it matter if Jesus was born right here? Like, I think people need to have faithful skeptics as yes. much as they need female clergy. You know, like it matters as much as anything to have somebody in front of them saying, Oof. well, on days I believe this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. Or or the, you know, just on the hardest days to be like, poof, I don't know. But like when I have nothing else to hold on to, here's the one thing I've got. Right. So Mm -hmm. that, that you can be a model of, I don't have it all together. And that the idea that to be in the church, you have to be churchy is like such a bummer, you know, because, because it's not, it's not biblical. It has not a lot of basis in history. It's just like some of the, some of the most faithful, followers of God had the biggest questions and the biggest doubts. And that to me is as, as important to model and to represent. I just think that would have, that would keep more people in the church, right. To feel like, Oh shoot, I have a question. They told me that's not welcome here. Well, I guess I'm, then I guess I'm gone. Right. Like I guess I gotta go. Cause I got a lot more where that one Uh, came from. And I was just brave enough to ask the one question, but now you're telling me questions aren't, well, shoot, I got, I better pack it up, put this suitcase full of them, (laughs) drag it out of here. Uh, So I just, that's really important to me. I think more people would would maybe have stuck with it Mm -hmm. if they had been told and modeled that like, this is okay to stumble around in. Like I, I'm Mm -hmm. just the the least perfect, least churchy pastor I know. And sometimes, I don't know, I just feel like... I think it's good for people to see that. You'd be yeah. like, I'm kind of witchy. And sometimes I'm like, <laughs> Love it. you know, you're just kind of like, I, I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, Natalia's more witchy than I am. And we're it's, still, we're still working through that in our friendship. We're still working through that. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for, I mean, it's not hard for me, but I just, uh, <laughs> but, 
but it's just when you say like, oh, I do that too, or I'm a little witchy too, mm-hmm. or I have a little whatever. I just think it it opens up the boundaries of faith and life a little more. And I'm just I'm just super here for that. I don't know. Like I'm just I'm just very human. <laughs> you know? And I think while Natalia stands as this like I don't want to say faithful skeptic. I think like faithful in the sense of like faithful to the skepticism. Um, (laughs) Not just faithful to faith. I think I am over here and especially have gotten so much worse since I have stopped being a (laughs) full-time pastor in just being so unabashedly earnest about how cool I think things are in the church. Huh. Like, I think I toned it down for ministry because, like, you just can't geek out in the same way when you're trying to preach to, like, a whole congregation and you know that, like, one or two of them love it when you do the Greek thing, but most of them are just like, which, I mean, to be fair, for some of them, it's the best nap they get in a week. It's fine. Um, (laughs) But, like... Now I have just leaned, like, we did a pod, we recorded for our podcast the other day, and I ended up with, like, this whole page of notes about Pius the 11th and 12th, uh, just, Ooh. like, for no reason. <laughs> we weren't talking about them on the podcast. I was just like, wait, how does that timeline shake out with, like, World War II and the Vietnam War? And so I just go and do that research on my own, and I'm like, you guys, and I'm lecturing my wife while we have our child at the zoo, we're, like, looking at Buffalo, and I'm like, okay, but let's talk about all of the times that the Pope has, the Pope has spoken ex cathedral and oh my God. Like everybody to- everybody just say a little prayer to Michelle <laughs> <laughs> intercede to St. Jude for my wife St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes and that is what I am <laughs> Um, just uh, oh, Michelle. I'm sure she knew. I'm sure she knew what she's getting. And into she absolutely and- she knew. Um, <laughs> she also she's also a former Catholic. Oh, there you go. So I, that sounds just- perfect to me. That sounds like exactly what I'd like to be talking about at the zoo. Yeah. Frankly. So we were like. On our honeymoon in Mexico, we're like sitting around running out our data plan that we've bought, like our international data plan, looking up if there has ever actually been an instance of a bleeding host that was not later proven to be a hoax. Like, this is what we do. Um, There wasn't. Um, So romantic. I know, right? We're like, we're literally outside the like theme park that we've paid for an exclusive pass to and we're having this discussion. Um, And that's just life with me. And she she knew what she was getting into. She actually, we started our first date when we, we'd been talking on, um, chatting on an app for maybe six months off and on, wow. just kind of like getting in contact and then dropping off. And she reached out and said, hey, um, so I know you're like becoming a pastor because I was very open about that in dating because I kind of felt like I had to in the queer world. Like it's not. You don't, don't want to pull that yeah, yes. card out late. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't care for it. Um, and so she was like, so I know you're becoming a pastor. I'd graduated, but wasn't didn't have uh, an ordination at that point. So can we get together and just talk about like faith and sexuality? And I was like, clear my schedule. Let us go. <laughs> um, and then we went on our first date and we've been together ever since. Aww. It was great. I Um, love that. I just want to say, I'm just thinking about, I feel like this conversation, you two kind of fit the vibe of this podcast of me and Steph more than any other guest potentially that we've had. This is well. Don't tell the other guests. No, I love our other guests. I don't know if any other guest has been like as nerdy about the things that Steph and I are commonly nerdy about as you two are. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, because I, I don't even go to any church, but I could talk about the Greek words in the bible i could do that nerding out i could look up the popes with you all day (laughs) it's great 
Pope Pius XI um, had this fantastic, like, anti, like, he was fighting anti-Semitism in Italy. What did you guys do? You thought, <laughs> I had to bring it back. I wanted I know. to know more. Yes, exactly. Pope Pius, okay, so Pope Pius XI, like, is wholly leaning into this, like, idea of the peace of Christ through the, the kingdom of Christ. And then he dies in early 1939. Mm. And then Pope Pius XII takes over, who completely drops the ball on, like, resisting Nazi- Nazism and fascism during World War II. Yeah, he was no. not very good at that. And it's just, uh-huh. that's come yeah, up about before. That one. <laughs> that's come up before on the podcast. Oh, nice. <laughs> like to me, it's just this fascinating. Like, what would have happened if we hadn't lost Pius XI, yeah. who was already doing this like really integral work, like fighting back against like racial. Like, basically, wrote this whole thing about how we don't use race to categorize humans because we're not animals. That makes us sound mm. like a subspecies. Basically, fighting back against Hitler's like treatment of the Jews as a subhuman race. And it, it just, oh, oh, oh. Anti eugenesis happening from the Pope. Look at that. Yeah, alternate amazing. history book on its way. I see. But I know. Didn't she... die. <laughs> Can you like imagine such... if you had a pope who put the like full power of the Catholic Church, which at that point owned its own property in Vatican, like was Vatican yeah. City, was no longer attached to Italy in the same political way? Can you imagine they put the full power of the Catholic Church fighting against the Nazis from the beginning? Oh, yes, I want to live in that world. Okay, great, done. I mean, you should write. You should write yeah, that fan that's thing. A story I would read. That's a that's a that's a fiction novel that I would enjoy. I think it's a niche audience, but it is a strong niche audience. Like <laughs> if you find that niche, man. If you find those the people niche. are very into that. Yeah. No, you just need the right people to get into it, and then it'll become a runaway bestseller. That's true, how it happens. True. Fully, yes. Just add one vampire in your book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, it's hard to mix vampires with Catholicism, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because all of the Catholic the symbology Catholic, is the, what repels vampires. Right, hey, right. if they could write vampires, you could live outside and go to high school. You could, uh, you could do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so uh, it's funny. One of my questions for you was was going to be around, like, is there anything from Catholicism that you miss or that you're still a fan of secretly? But I feel like I feel like Catholicism's kind of witchy here and there more than oh, a lot of mainline Protestantism. Yes, it really I agree. Candles and different saints that are kind of like gods. It's great. Yeah, saints <laughs> saints are pretty cool. I I super so I can't I'm a smell person. I can't do a lot of smells. I get migraines really easily, mm. but incense, I can handle that. I don't know why. It's like from my childhood. Uh <laughs> So we're over in, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem and every place you go into, it's just, just hanging in the air. And I was mm, like, this smells great. Fine. I just love it. It makes my, like, I'd, so there's some weird comfort to the smell of Catholic incense. Yeah. That sense memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have the same thing. Yeah. The smells and bells we, we like to say, but I just think there is something, some of the, the Catholic church does ritual really well. And there is something beautiful about the familiarity of walking into a space and knowing what happens and knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's why we like gyms that do the same thing or restaurants that do the same thing. It's like, no matter where you go in there, you get the experience is going to be same. like, yeah. yeah. And I think there is something to be said about that in the Catholic church that, that I liked, but you're right. It's like a Starbucks or an Olive Garden. You're like, no, <laughs> the breadsticks all taste the same. <laughs> when you're here, you're family. You know what you're going to get. <laughs> you and I, and, and, does not and that is, and then, then you don't feel out of place no matter yeah. where you are. Like, And the other thing I really love about the Catholic Church, I will just say that I don't think 
a lot of other, I mean, not every, I won't say every denomination follows this, but they keep the doors open to the church. And I think mm. that is a value I really love of the Catholic church, that even if you go to the fanciest Catholic church in Minnesota, the doors are open all the mm-hmm. time. It's always available. That's you can always go in and sit down. And that is not true of most hmm. churches, especially here in the Twin Cities, where they keep them locked up tight or security systems in order to protect the sanctuary. And I just hmm. love that. I love that about a Catholic church, that no matter what city you're in, no matter where you are, you can walk in and sit down and uh-huh. eat a holy space. I love I that. I don't think I hmm. knew that distinction. And that is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it does make it easier if you make people live on the property. That <laughs> is also true. Mm-hmm. And it's a dude who lives on the property. So it's right. Yeah. I mean, I love a holy space. I, I do. I mean, as as much as I'm like, love the digital space and obviously do a lot of work in the digital space. I do love a sanctuary that feels like a sanctuary. I love a mm-hmm. big. I know a lot of people who've been hurt by the church do not want to walk into a church that looks like one. But I love the beauty of sanctuaries of Gothic cathedrals and stained glass and arch ceilings. I love all of it. Give it all to me. I'll sit in all those spaces. And I love that they're always open, that you don't Mm -hmm. have to schedule a tour or like, you know, you just it's not a museum. It's a church. It's open. I just Mm -hmm. love that. That was when I was thinking about other religions at some point in my life, and one big thing was like, but I like the church. I like being in a church. Mm-hmm. And I went to a couple, I guess they were evangelical. I couldn't even remember now, but it was like in a shopping plaza. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I know. I can't I either. Can't. I find it really hard. It no. doesn't, there's something about beauty that matters. You know, yeah. I think it's, mm. it's, uh, so that's why people talk about the outdoors as a cathedral. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of beauty in an abandoned Kmart, you know, like, I'm sorry. So <laughs> it's just hard to find that same thing. And the cathedrals are created to look like forests and, right. you know, skies. And it's incredible. One of my favorite churches in Jerusalem was the Church of All Nations because the ceiling is dark blue with gold stars all over it. And it just is like meant mm-hmm. to look like the night sky. And I'm obsessed. I just love it so much. Every time I would have been there, I've been like, look up, look up, make sure you look up when you go in. Because you, <laughs> you always like look around the space and it's fine. You kind of take yeah. in the vastness, but I'm like, no, no, no. Don't forget to like stare at the ceiling. It's so beautiful. To have that like violet and dark blue ceiling. Oh, it's just so pretty. We just had our last guest was an art historian and she talked about another cathedral, I think maybe in Italy that was similarly, it looks like you're looking up to the heavens. And I'm going to think about that now. I think there's, there is something that's very purposeful and it's very evocative. Yeah. It's, it's to create awe and like awe and beauty does something with you. And I think that Mm -hmm. creates a connection to the divine that Mm -hmm. not everything does. And I think sometimes we try to manufacture it with lighting and like smoke machines. And you're like, it doesn't quite do the same thing as, <laughs> sorry, you're getting, <laughs> it was pretty snarky. I'm sorry. No, but, like... <laughs> but, and not saying that, that that can't be moving, it can create feelings in you, but it doesn't do the same thing as mm-hmm. that kind of awe does in a space that some artist has rendered to purposefully make you feel, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that's great. Yeah. There's something to that. And there's something to that. I think the, the longevity of it, that is also so mm. in, that has such an impact. Like you look up and you're looking at something that someone built in the 13th century yeah, and that yeah. somebody like was laying on their back a la Michelangelo, Michelangelo. Yeah. yeah Michelangelo. Yeah. Like, 
carefully layering in each each tile of this giant blue mosaic rather than like okay you know it's the 17 year old who like doesn't want to be at church but he gets to run the fog machine and so he comes (laughs) and he's on the tech team and it just does not have the same impact when you start like at least for me because again like giant history nerd um that (laughs) sense of and i think natalia also touched on this of just like other people have put something into this in a way that is really evocative and important and witchy like if you study anything along the lines of like witchiness spirituality when you put energy into a thing even if that thing is inanimate that energy can be reflected i mean like that's why people get into crystals that's why people make things out of limestone because limestone is supposedly a super like refractory spiritual stone like that's Mm. there's a reason that we build things to last in very intentional ways. And it's mm-hmm. not just because it makes you go, ooh, shiny light, but also it is carrying on that history of the people who have touched it and looked at it right. into the next century. Yeah, that sense of awe floats in those spaces, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, it because somebody else stood there and was like, oh, and then that stays. And you feel that when you walk in. I mean, some of those spaces are that way for that reason. And I think, again, like, Forests are that way. Mountains are that way. The ocean is that way. And I think part of it is our our sort of energy of the created world, but also that like it's beauty and beauty creates something in us and the energy stays and we're drawn to it. And I think that is connecting with the divine when you do that. I think that is part of it. It's not always just a building. It's like what happens to you when you are in that space that is, is the divine, I think, mm. experience. I know. <laughs> we're all just... <laughs> I could just taking that in. Keep nerding it. Uh, I know. I know. Um, wow. I, we've been talking for a long time and it feels like it has been 10 minutes. It, it does well. not yeah. feel like it's been this long. I feel like, I mean, I feel like an hour goes way slower on our podcast than it did on this one. You know what? I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. it's been an hour. We got to stop. Let's brief Steph and Ann over to ours next time. Yeah, we should. We're up for it. <laughs> It's so funny just listening to your podcast because I think the two of you and then Nora was also raised Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I feel like we it's linger. not a coincidence that the the baptized Catholics slash raised Catholics like all found themselves in this space. The two of you said, Natalia specifically, what you said about asking too many questions. I feel like that is the most common theme in terms of guests we have on. Mm-hmm. who said they asked too many questions. Like my CCD mm-hmm. teacher was ready to be done with me. My religion teacher was ready to be done with me. We're like, yeah, that those are the people who still want to talk about this stuff, even as adults. Yeah. Okay. Steph, any last question or. I'd- well, I was just thinking, we asked them about their feelings on Catholicism, but yeah. I'm curious. I kind of want to turn it on its head. Yes. So as people who have bridged both worlds a bit, at least through baptism, what do you think Catholics or lapsed Catholics get wrong about Protestantism, Lutheranism? Like, what are we not understanding? <laughs> Emmy, I know Emmy wants to answer this first. You both look delighted or... Or horrified, I'm not sure. Emmy got so... Didn't you see her face? Where she got so excited that you asked that question. She was like... So uh, the great thing about this is that I have like a living experience of this, right? Like I'm married to a, mm. someone who was raised Catholic. Right. And so I think sometimes there is a, mm, a bias towards Protestants that we believe basically nothing. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> laughing because I've heard it. <laughs> like... That just like anything that the Catholic Church believes, the Protestants don't believe. And mm-hmm. so, like, 
communion is only symbolic, like it's just bread and wine. And like one of the reasons that I'm Lutheran and deeply committed to Lutheranism is that Lutheranism actually does kind of combo transubstantiation and symbolism and talk about um, Christ's real presence in the Eucharist, not just in history, but in offering himself to us. And it doesn't transubstantially change the bread and wine. Like that still retains its bread and wineness um, at a, at a molecular level, but that it is still a, a promise, a very concrete promise of Christ offering himself for you in a way that's like not quite term transubstantiation, not quite just symbolism, but like every lapsed Catholic that I've met assumes we all just think it's like, it's just bread and wine and we're just mm-hmm. doing it for funsies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My wife did not realize. And to be fair, like I, we, I, she's never been to like a re-education class, like a Lutheran re-education class. And so I never explained to her that Lutherans believe in the Trinity. Yeah. I would not mm. have known that. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. Like at some point. And so like, okay, let me, let me be clear. My wife and I've been married for five years. I've been a, pa- I was a pastor for six and a half. So like, she was married to me the whole time I was a pastor. We went, she, she went to church with me every Sunday. And just like three years in, I mentioned something about the Trinity. And she's like, well, you guys don't believe in that. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> it's like a core. Like I get in a lot of trouble if I don't believe in that. Um, yeah, what? Like, That's kind of a big deal. I'm like, but I say blessings in the name of like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't think you thought that was like one per. And I'm like, I- you're killing me here. <laughs> so... This sense of like Catholicism is so different from Protestantism that there are no similarities. Mm-hmm. It would be the thing that jumps out at me. Natalia, is there anything you want to add? I mean, I just think the idea of grace is that uh, people are like, oh, Lutherans are the ones that believe like you don't have to do anything. Mm. And uh, <laughs> like it's the it's like the cheater faith where like you don't you just like get in for free. It's your get out of jail free card of those lazy Lutherans. And and I don't <laughs> what <laughs> do they call us that? <laughs> just so <laughs> devastated. Oh, I'm sorry. I broke your heart a little. It's OK. But just that this idea of what grace is for, I think to me is the thing that people get wrong, which it's not so that we don't have to do anything, but so that the work we do is on behalf of our neighbor because we're not having to worry about ourselves so much. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think that is so liberating, especially as somebody who grew grew up Catholic where it was like shame and guilt and shame and guilt and it's just Mm -hmm. poured on you. Oh, you did something wrong. Here's what you do to get out of that, right? The penance you pay or the thing you're supposed to say or the thing you're supposed to do to like even the scales again. And that's just such an exhausting cycle to be in. So when you, when I learned that the Lutheran faith was like, uh, well, first of all, like calm down. (laughs) And second of all, like the grace you are given is not for you. It's, it is for you, but it's for, for behalf, on behalf of your neighbor. So that when you go out and do something good, the good is not to like earn the thing or like make it even make it up to God when you've done something bad. It's that the good work you're doing will help somebody else. And that Mm. to me feels way more compelling. It fit better what I believed Jesus was saying. It fit better what I was reading in the scriptures about from the prophets, from all these people who are telling us to go and do things. And I was like, but they're never saying like, do this so that you get into heaven, do this so that you feel better, do this so that you're, you know, get your gold star at CCD class. It was like, 
do this so that your neighbor learns what God's love feels like in the world, right? Do this so your neighbor has an experience of God because you have experienced God. It's mm-hmm. it's a different reason. And to me, that was compelling enough to, that is still compelling enough to stay in it. Even on the days when I don't quite buy it or that I'm not sure God is real, that, that sort of reminder that the work I'm doing is not for myself is enough to keep me in it, that I mm-hmm. do that work, that I can trust that if God is real, God has done this work for me so that I work for someone else. And that can be enough, right? That I can let go of panicking about my own self and, mm-hmm. and worry about others, which I'm very good at doing. So, uh, but as I, you're talking, I'm like, that sounds great. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's just a little, it, it, it changes it a bit. And I think, I think that's very different than, oh, they just get in for free, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a very different way mm-hmm. of looking at our theology of grace. Uh, and that's what, that's the thing that keeps me in it that I think people get wrong for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Emmy, you, did you have something else you were going to say? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, always, but not- <laughs> Yes. Part and two. here it is. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Well, thank you both so, so much for coming and talking with us today. So we like to do our special collection, which is we invite listeners to donate to an organization. Do either of you or both of you have something you'd like to suggest? Pass the virtual basket around. <laughs> We're, I don't know if you can see us trying to ESP right now. Um, go, no, you powerful. go. No, you go. I like yours. Uh, you like mine? You don't even know what it is. <laughs> she knows. Um <laughs> You know what? I'm going to do uh, – there's lots of big organizations I could say pass the basket around for. I'm going to do a tiny one that's local here in the Twin Cities Great. that I love so much, which is called Dissonance. Mm. And I just want to highlight it because I think it's so beautiful. The work they do, they are so small and they don't get a ton of donations. So to highlight somebody – I mean, I could say out front, Minnesota, they're great. I love everything they do. Mm. But but they get lots of money and lots of recognition. But Dissonance is a, is a tiny organization that works with creatives, particularly in the music musicians and artists to create sober spaces for people. Mm. And I think it's really beautiful to talk about a substance free life, but that creativity doesn't, uh, doesn't need Mm. to be uh, limited in any way by sober spaces. And they do such, such lovely work with creatives and creating these beautiful events. They help artists find good therapy and good ways to stay connected and, and clean if they need it. So I think it's such a gorgeous organization. And my friend Sarah is one of the founders and I just think it's awesome. So Dissonance, go look it up. They're wonderful. You can find them at dissonance.org. Great. Put that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Uh, and where can folks find you? Cafeteria Christian. Yeah, we release a podcast weekly called Cafeteria Christian, available on any uh, happy little podcatcher app that you might use. We drop episodes usually on a Sunday or a Monday. If you become a Patreon, you also get Natalia's like mostly Monday. And I'm like, yeah. well, sometimes. <laughs> drop episodes at the start of the week. Yeah. If you become a Patreon, you also get video content. So you get to see all the faces that we make at each other. Uh, we also do different specialty things for our Patreons throughout the year. Um, you can find Cafeteria Christian on Instagram at Cafeteria Christian. And also on Facebook, you can join us as a group at facebook.com slash groups slash Cafeteria Christian. You can find me, Emmy Kegler, um, on the internet. Uh, I'm on Facebook at Emmy Kegler. I'm on Instagram at Emmy Kegler. I'm on threads at Emmy Kegler. I, um, I torched my Twitter slash X account to the ground. Um, 
because we fight fascism in this household. And so um, not there anymore. Uh, but in particular right now, I mean, I think this is actually what kicked off the invitation to the Lapsed podcast is I'm creating different graphics for different seasons of the church year. Yeah. Um, and you can find those on my primarily Facebook and Instagram, since those are kind of the most visual of social media channels. And again, that's at Emmy Kegler at E-M-M-Y-K-E-G-L-E-R. Great. And I'm uh, you can find my website, NataliaTurfa.com, but also NTurfa on all the things is kind of how you find me on Instagram and threads. And I am still on Twitter, but only because I'll only be there till the hashtags go away. I'm there. I'm there for sure. Turkish television hashtags only. That is the only reason I'm there. That wow. is the but you can't, it's really hard to find them on threads. I'm just saying. So I'm threads is terrible there. for hashtags. So I validate you on yeah, that. It's yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a very niche, it's a very niche group. It is a thing I'm into. And it is, we can talk about that. that in a future episode, but it is a thing I'm into. And so I'm there for that. But I'm not I'm there so for intrigued. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you can we can we can talk off my yes, please. And then I have on Cafeteria Christian on the Instagram that Emmy already mentioned. We do on Sunday mornings, we do a little uh, Sunday mini sermon on Instagram live at 830 central. So we rotate weeks and we pick the text from the lectionary, which is the sort of assigned text that most Protestant and Catholic churches use mm -hmm. to preach from. And we just give a little mini sermon for people who do not want to come into a church, um, but do still want to have a little chat about God and Jesus and what that mm -hmm. looks like. So we do that live every Sunday morning at 830 and we just rotate them back and forth. It's really fun. We like it a lot. We do. That sounds great. I feel like a lot of our listeners will be interested mm -hmm. in that. So yeah, come, come see us and they stay on there. So if you can't be there live, you can watch them later. Great. Great. Well, yes, Natalia and Emmy, thank you so, so much for coming on today. This has been delightful. A really nice way to spend my afternoon. Oh, absolutely. Ditto. So happy to be here. Well, I'll come back. I don't want to speak for Emmy, I suppose, great. but I'll come back. I would love I I'll come back. Please do. Please. We had so much I had so much fun. That was great. <laughs> we will end the way we always end. Steph and Natalia and Emmy, and also with you. And also with you. And, and also, also with, with you. you. <laughs>